welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church at Christmas on Christmas. I want to welcome those of you also who are watching online today. Glad you could join us as well. And again, Merry Christmas to everybody. So honored that you join us for our Christmas service. I know that for some of you, you love coming to church during this time of year. For others of you, maybe it's been the first time in a long time that you've been to a church, or maybe this is the first time ever. Uh, whatever the case might be, hope you've enjoyed it so far, and uh, way to go. You made it here. Past three weeks, we've been in a series, new series, called The God I Wish You Knew, and today's message is called The God I Wish You Knew Came For You. He did. The God I Wish You Knew, many of you do know him, came for you. Don't raise any hands, but has there ever been a time in your life when you needed somebody to come for you? You know, maybe somebody forgot you at school or after practice. Maybe you were far from home and feeling alone. Maybe you lost something like a job or a friend, or maybe some of you even lost a marriage, and you just needed somebody to come for you. When I was in fifth grade, long time ago, I went to Hickory Bible Camp in northern Illinois. My, my friend, Kent Swank was his name, convinced me that it would be fun to go to camp, and it probably was for some kids, but not for me. I was homesick, so homesick that I barely survived the first day. I cried off and on during the night. By the second morning, I was desperate to go home. The camp director did everything he could to help me. He favored me. He involved me in games. He encouraged me. He even set up a situation in the deep end of the swimming pool where I was supposed to jump off the diving board and fake like I was drowning so I'd be rescued by one of the lifeguards as kind of a practice drill for them. So I did that, jumped off the board, flailed around a little bit, and within seconds, I was scooped up by one of the college-age female lifeguards. Now, her strength and speed was amazing enough, but then she lifted me onto the deck. She jumped out of the pool, and no kidding, she gave me mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which is like the most amazing thing in the world <laughs> to a fifth-grade kid. This was before the movie, by the way, Sandlot came out. But I didn't know. I didn't know if she knew it was just a drill. So I opened my eyes, and I said, you know I'm faking it. She said, you little twerp. <laughs> and that was the last mouth-to-mouth I got until 10th grade. And I met Laurie Thompson, who was just amazing, and years later, she became my wife, so that worked out really well. But even getting rescued by a college-age beauty did not help my homesickness. I wanted my mom and dad. But would the camp director even call them? And would they even come? This was before cell phones, and that evening, my friend Kent tried to console me while I was sitting on my bunk bed just crying when suddenly the door to our cabin gently opened, and I heard my dad's voice. Bob, are you here? Are you here? My dad's a very busy man, uh, incredibly busy, pastor of a large church, a lot of demands on his life, but he drove two hours for me. My dad came for me. It was truly my happiest moment because I knew that in that moment my father actually cared about me. I jumped off the bed, ran to him, we embraced, and then he said, let's go home, son. We loaded up the car, and then I looked over at my friend Kent, and he was bawling like a baby. So we took him home, too. We were pathetic. We didn't care. We wanted to go home. The director actually told my dad that in 20 years of directing camps, he had never seen such a hopeless case as me. you know, got to be proud. But, again, has there ever been a time in your life when you just needed somebody to come for you? Honestly, gang, I think this is the longing 
of every human heart that someone would love and value you so much that they would set aside everything and come just for you. Do you have anybody like that? Here's a different question. Have you ever wished someone would come for you, but they didn't? In fact, they they completely left you. Maybe for some of you it was a parent. And you didn't even know why, but they just bailed. Maybe for some here, a lot of you, some of you, it was a spouse. And the ache in your heart is, is still there. Maybe a friend or a sibling of some sort. The one person you thought would be there for you did the opposite. Or maybe you feel like nobody's ever been there for you or truly understood you. Honestly, I think at some level it happens to all of us. We all feel the ache of being left. And especially at Christmas time, that sometimes is more pronounced for people. I sat around a restaurant table with my family a couple weeks ago down in Columbia, Missouri, where my daughter lives, my son-in-law and my daughter and granddaughter. And I, I was asking them about the topic for this Christmas weekend. And I said, has there any been, any, any, ever been a time in your lives when you wanted someone to come for you, but they didn't? Kind of went around the table, and finally it came to my son-in-law, Nellie, who quietly lifted his head. He said, you know, I waited every day to be picked up by my dad in after-school daycare. And every day I was the last one. Sometimes an hour after everybody had gone home, I was still there. And Nellie's an amazing young man. He's a new dad. He's a radiologist. But at 31 years old, it's still right there, and he began brushing the tears away. He said, I never understood why I was always last or sometimes forgotten altogether. I'm telling you, to have someone come for you is the hope of every human being. You want to hear some good news the Bible says? The Bible says that God so loves this world. God so loves every person here at all campuses. God so loves you. He knows you by name. He knows everything that's going on in your life right now. He knows your joys. He knows your fears. He knows what makes you feel anxious. God so loves this world that he came for each one of us, and he came for us in the flesh. The Bible in John chapter 1 says it this way, the word Jesus became flesh, took on human flesh, and made his home among us. John says, we've seen him. We've seen the Christ, his glory, the glory of the only one, the only begotten son who came from the Father, came from heaven. Friends, when God came to this world, he didn't come as a mist or a ghost, or a Jedi warrior. Sorry, Star Wars fans, of which I am not one. But God came in human form so we could see God and know God and be loved by God himself. God so loved this world, he came for us in person because that's what loving fathers do. In fact, there's a a passage in Scripture, one of the most famous stories in the Bible, Luke 15, where Jesus tells three short stories about a lost sheep, lost son, and lost, uh, lost coin, and lost son. And he's trying to describe to us what God is really like. In each of these stories, something is lost and really matters to somebody. So the lost sheep matters to the shepherd. The lost coin 
matters to the woman, and the lost son really, really matters to the dad. And Jesus is trying to describe what God is like. And so he says in Luke 15, he says, look, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost one? He goes on. And when he finds it, he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me. Let's celebrate. I have found this lost Sheep, and then he says this, I tell you, I tell all of you, in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over just one sinner who returns to God than over the 99 righteous persons who haven't strayed away. What Jesus is saying is that one lost sheep matters to the shepherd more than anything else, and he will do anything to search for and find that lost one and bring it home. And when that sheep is found, he says, there's an all-out celebration. Jesus says in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one lost person who has returned to God than over 99 persons who've never strayed away. That if there's just one person, if there's just one person still out there who's wandering and is far from God, he will do anything to search for and bring that wandering one and retrieve that person home. And friends, maybe some of that's you today. Maybe some of you feel a little lost today, maybe a little alone and distant from God. Did you know that you matter to God more than anything in the entire universe and that if you were the only one on the planet, he would come for you and he would search for you until he found you? That's the God I know. It's the God many of you know. But the big question and the question of Christmas is why? You know, why, why did God come for us in the first place? Why did he leave the awesome glory and safety of heaven, take on human flesh, and come to this broken world in the first place? I have two, two thoughts on this. First one is this. He wants a relationship. Oh, I hope you get this. God wants a relationship with every person here. A real relationship that will make you whole. Because here's what I know about some of you. Some of you are on a relentless search for something, anything, to make you feel happy and whole. Some people think it's season tickets. If I get season tickets, that's going to do it. That's going to make me feel whole. Or exotic travel, a lot of you. Some, for some of you, it's the latest technology. If I can just get that new deal. Some turn to substance abuse or manic exercise, some pornography, that's their go-to to try to make them feel good about themselves or feel whole. Some think it's another person who can make them feel whole. So they bounce in and out of relationships, in and out of marriages, searching for the right person who can complete them. You know, how many singles think their life isn't whole because they haven't found that special someone or the married person who says they're unfulfilled and thinks my soulmate is still out there somewhere. Friends, can I tell you, there's not a person on the planet who can complete you. There's not a person in the world who can make you feel whole and fill the void in your soul that only God can fill. Just ask relational expert Kanye West who said this about Kim Kardashian. Once you get a wifey, your wifey basically runs your lifey. 
lovely couple. All that to say there's no such thing, there's no such thing, get this, as a perfect soulmate who can complete me. I hear this all the time. It makes me crazy. There is no such thing as another person on the planet who can complete you because every relationship you and I have is flawed by sin and eventually fails us. But that's what people do when the Father's love is missing from their life. They, they go on a lifelong quest to find that something or someone to make them feel whole. But I'm telling you, nothing, nothing in the world can replace the need we all have for the Father's love. My wife, Lori, and I have been married for 36 years. And we have a great marriage, but I'm telling you, we fail each other all the time. In fact, do you remember the Monday after Thanksgiving? We got that surprise snowstorm, and if you were going to work, it took you like an hour or two extra to get to work. The day before that storm, Sunday afternoon, my wife said, Bob, aren't we going to get gutters over the garage? The driveway is really slippery because the water falls and freezes on the driveway. She says, aren't we going to get gutters? I said, ah, I hate gutters. You just got to clean the leaves out of them. We're not getting gutters. It'll be fine. Same conversation, same day. She said, and how about the tires on the truck? You know, they're balding and we need new tires. I said, don't worry about the tires. Tires will be fine. The next day when it snowed, I was in my office. I made it to work okay. My phone buzzed. It was my wife. In a very sober tone of voice, she said, I was shoveling the driveway, Bob, and I fell on the ice. And I'm going to need to go to the doctor. I'm thinking, broken hip broken arm. She said, I fell directly on my face, and I'm going to need stitches. So immediately, I thought of the gutters that I said we didn't need. And then as I was running out to the truck, I thought about the tires that I said we didn't need. Highway 61 was backed up for miles, so I got smart and took some back roads to pick her up. And on the way, on the first bend in the road, I lost control, spun out of, spun out of control right in the ditch. I was out of commission. So with my wife injured and waiting for me at home because I didn't want gutters, I sat helpless in the ditch because I didn't want tires. While sitting in the ditch, a random person who I'd never met before stopped and asked if I was okay, and then she said this, I will give you a ride to the church office if you don't make a sermon illustration out of it. <laughs> I promised her I would. But guess who has new gutters and new tires? And my wife has told me there will be no mouth-to-mouth -mouth for a very long time, even after she heals up. My point is this. I fail my wife all the time, and I fail other people all the time. We love each other, but we are incapable, I'm telling you, incapable of making each other whole and complete because no human being can do that for the other. Jesus came for you. Because there's no other person who can heal your wounds, forgive your sins, and be there for you. Nobody. So I want to ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? I am not talking about having a religion. I am talking about having a relationship with the God who loves you, the God who knows everything about you, and the God who came because he wants a relationship with 
every person here. So that's the first idea. The second reason Jesus came, he came for us to save us from our, from our sins that we all have. God sent his son Jesus to this planet, not just to teach us a better way to live, but to save us from the sin and sin condition that we all have. Going back to the three stories Jesus told in Luke 15, the sheep, coin, and boy are all lost. They're each lost. And Jesus' point is that there is a lostness that we all have, including me, that we can't do anything about. So he goes from a sheep that has some value to a coin that has more value to a lost boy who has ultimate value. And what I love most about Jesus' story is when the lost boy decides to return home to the father because he doesn't think or he doesn't know if the father is going to forgive him. This kid's been on a wild tear blowing his dad's money on women and nightclubs and gambling. Eventually he loses everything. Takes a job feeding pigs and wishes he could eat their food just to survive. He's lost his family, his home, his dignity, his money. His relationships have been blown apart. Any hope for a promising career or future are gone. And he hasn't seen or spoken to his older brother in months, maybe years. I just want to pause here for a second. I want to tell you, as, as the pastor of a very large church, I get emails every week that contain sentence after sentence of lostness. Emails that tell me about custody battles, estrangement, abandonment by one or both parents. Emails containing wild accusations, betrayals, threats, lawsuits, sexual misconduct all over the place. Untold addictions, restraining orders, phobias, abuses, emotional disorder. People just hurting and hating each other every week. And I'm not innocent. I can be incredibly selfish and hurtful. And every time it happens, I'm reminded how sinful I am. How dark my heart can be sometimes. And how much I need a Savior. And almost every email that I read of this nature ends in two ways. Either with just, with just absolute desperation or with a turning point of hope. And those emails go something like this. Bob, I was completely lost. But then I turned to and trusted Jesus for the first time. Or they'll say, I felt completely hopeless. But then I was invited to church and it was like God was speaking directly to me as if I was the only one in the room. These emails will go, I didn't know what to do next. But then I prayed my first real prayer and God spoke to me by his spirit and began to heal me. Or I decided to finally surrender my life to Christ and he rescued me in that moment. This boy... He's at the rock bottom of his life, and sometimes that's what it takes for people to say, you know what? I need help. I can't do this anymore. I think I need a savior of some sort. Our second dog, our second dog, Bear, was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, and I just adored this dog. When she was just a puppy, I took her for a walk down to a stream that runs near our house. It was springtime, so the water was high and cold, but she seemed strong enough to handle the current. And she loved the water, so I'd toss sticks in and out, and she would retrieve them out of the stream to me. But finally, it was time to go, and 
I called for her to come, but she would not come. In sinful defiance, she ran the opposite way down the stream. I could hear her running and splashing, swimming down toward a very dangerous culvert. And I lost sight of her because of the brush and trees around the stream, but I could hear her heading downstream toward this culvert that had formed a huge whirlpool sucking all kinds of debris down a hole and then under the street. She was heading for trouble and didn't know it. So I yelled, bear, come. (laughs) Kept running. Bear. So I ran. I ran down to the culvert, and there she was, if you can picture this, this six-month-old little puppy caught in the suction in the whirlpool, just paddling to beat the bed as much as she could. And there was terror in her eyes, and she looked at me, pleading with me to save her. Quick time out. She was going down. Couldn't help it. Anybody ever feel that way? Like you were getting sucked down and there was nothing you could do? Maybe sucked under by an addiction of some sort. For some of you, it's indebtedness. For some, it's some kind of relational or moral failure that is just sucking you down and you're caught in a whirlpool struggling to save yourself. Or maybe for some of you, it's just fear. You don't even understand where it comes from, but it's there almost every day, or anxiety or loneliness, and you've tried to get out of it, but you can't. She was just a dog. But I'm telling you, I dropped down into that culvert, clothes and all, water up to my thighs. With all the strength I had, I reached for her fur and I grabbed her by the scruff and pulled her from the clutch of death so that she could live and be in our house. And three or four years later, I was going through a real tough time in my life and she kind of saved me. Felt like she was my only friend. Gang, the Bible says all of us have sinned. We are caught in a whirlpool and there's nothing, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves but God. But God is there reaching out to us just hoping, hoping we'll turn to him. The Bible says in this story that this boy, and they uses this phrase, this boy came to his senses. He came to a point where he just came to his senses, which means he started to see his need for a savior and forgiveness, and he made a choice that every person here needs to make. He chose to stop running and turn toward the Father and reached for the Father, and he asked for forgiveness. The Bible calls this repentance. Repentance is the choice to turn from your sins. It's the choice to turn from self-reliance and reach toward the Father who came for you. I pray a prayer something like this every single day. God, I need you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I need you to guide me and strengthen me and get me through this day, this week, this month. God, I need you. But maybe like this boy, some of you don't feel worthy of the Father's love because of a past that's really dicey. You think, God, could, there's no way God could love me. Maybe you think God would never accept you as one of his sons or daughters. Or maybe, maybe you think, you know, it's just little old me. Does God even care about my life? Does God even know? Why would he even care? Verse 20 is for all of us who think those kind of thoughts. Look at verse 20. But while the boy was still a long way off, this is a picture of the father, God the father. His father saw him. 
Jesus is trying to describe what God is like. He says his father saw him sin and filth and everything else. His father saw him and he was filled with compassion. I love this next phrase. So he ran. The father ran toward his son. He threw his arms around him. He kissed him. This is a picture of the father running to you and to me. Friends, the God I wish you knew, that many of you do know, the God I wish you knew ran for you. He came for you because he wants a relationship with you that will make you whole and cleanse you from sin and give you a new start in life. And what some of you need to hear today is it's not your fault. The anger that bubbles up out of you, the misconduct, the rage, the the desire to strike back is not your fault. Some of you are mistreated. Some of you are abandoned by the person you thought would always be there. And it's not your fault. And what I want you to know is that there is healing for you. And there is wholeness available for you. in the Father's love. For some others of you here, it is your fault. You've made choices that hurt other people. You've hurt yourself. You've hurt God. And maybe you're wondering, can God even forgive me for that? Does God even love me? Friends, he does. The God I wish you knew came for you. He'll do anything to have a relationship with you that will lead you to forgiveness and wholeness. But you know what the honest truth is? It's all our fault. We're all fractured in some way. We all need God's forgiveness and his embrace. The Bible says it this way, where all have sinned. See that word right there? That means me. I have sinned. I'm fractured. I need wholeness. All of us have sinned, and we have fallen short of God's standard. But the Bible says, but God, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still running the opposite way from God, running down the stream in sinful defiance, while we were still running from him, Christ came for you and for me. Will's therapist cannot save him. He can help. Will's therapist can't forgive his sins, can't redeem his soul, can't be there for him 24-7. Only God can do that. The Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's me. That's all of you. 
there is a lostness in our lives that only God can cure. And so the God I wish you knew and the God I know that many of you do know came for you. The only question is, will you turn to him if you haven't? Will you look to him? Will you put your trust in him as your savior, your healer, your God and friend? At all campuses, I want to close in closing prayer. Just stay seated real quickly just for two minutes. We're very full at all campuses, but I want to ask you to be respectful of these next two minutes. Don't gather your stuff up. And just this is, this is such a powerful moment for some of you. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And here's what I believe, that this is your prayer for some of you today. This is your day when God's going to touch your soul and touch your life in a way that puts you on a new path wholeness and healing and love. Are you ready for this prayer? Some of you, this is your day of salvation. All campuses, let's bow real quick. Father, thanks so much for your love for us that you came, you ran, you search. God, it's no accident that every seat here is filled with a human person, a person who you know and you love. Some of these seats, God, are filled by people who don't have a relationship with you. They've never put their full trust in you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, but this is the day. And so if that's you today, if you want to pray this prayer and receive the forgiveness that God has for you, if you want to receive the wholeness that he has for you, the healing that he has for you, if you want to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, This is your prayer. You can pray it right where you're seated. Just pray it quietly, silently. Follow follow my prayer. God knows your heart. It's very simple. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to this earth to die on a cross to pay for my sins so that I can be forgiven and set free. So right now, right here, Jesus, Christmas 2015, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to take away my sins and bring a healness and a wholeness in my soul that I've tried to get in so many other ways, but I still come up empty. So right now, Lord Jesus, I'm putting my faith and trust in you as my Savior, as my God, as my friend. Thank you for saving me in this moment. I will will make a commitment right here today to try to follow you the rest of my life. Today, I become a real Christian, a Christ follower, by faith in you. Thank you for saving me in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, if you prayed that prayer, all campuses, I am so glad for you. Way to go. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. In the lobby, we have what's called Next Steps. We have some resources to give you to get you started on your new, newfound faith, so please visit that. Or get online, eaglebrookchurch.com slash start. With that, Merry Christmas. Be nice in the parking lot, okay? <laughs>